Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Once again, we are broadcasting this episode from our home here in the Gunnison Valley of Colorado, and you should start making plans to come ride on our vast network of trails here in Gunnison and Crested Butte. But if you want to come ride them right now, and I'm recording this on December 11th, then be sure to bring your fat bike because tis the season. Okay, today we've got blister reviewer extraordinaire Noah Bodman back on the podcast to offer first his review of parenthood because Noah is a new father who has been trying to keep alive his twin sons for the past five months now. So, of course, I needed to get from him his review of parenthood. Then Noah and I go on to discuss the performance of carbon wheels and the issues around price point and manufacturing processes of these wheels. And from there, we talk about Sweet Protection's convertible full-face helmet called the Arbitrator MIPS. And from there, we wrap up by talking about a number of forks that Noah has been cycling through over the past several months. Today's episode is presented by Survivor and their new Survivor Endurance phone case for the new iPhone 12. I always have my phone on me when I'm riding or skiing, since here at Blister we use them to shoot a lot of bike and ski photos and videos, and so I've been using the Survivor Endurance case for a while now, and I really like that it is a lightweight and pretty slim case that still offers solid protection for those inevitable crashes or phone drops that we all eventually have. And you can see the case and read more about my own experience using it on the Blister website. And we'll include links to my write-up, as well as to the Survivor Endurance product page at verizon.com. So check it out, and then go protect that shiny new phone of yours. And now, let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Noah Bodman. Well, Noah Bodman... Mostly, I wanted to check in with you, frankly, just to make sure that you were alive. Yeah, I'm, I'm just here hanging on by a thread, man. So I don't think we've actually had you on the podcast since you brought a couple of human beings into the world. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a couple, I don't know, maybe a few. It's hard to keep track of how many there are, but there's more than one. <laughs> how old are your kids now? Uh, we've got five-month-old twins. They'll be five months tomorrow. You really are one of our outstanding reviewers. And so given that, I want to start this by asking for your review of parenthood thus far. Oh, man. That's that's a loaded question, isn't it? I, I, you should ask me this again in like a year when like the shell shock has has like worn off a little bit. Uh, yeah, right now it's, uh, oh man, there's a lot of those kids. <laughs> <laughs> like, and here's one of the things about you. I feel like most people, I couldn't really ask for their review on parenthood. Cause I just think, I feel like they would lie to me. You, I think would tell me the truth. Yeah. I'm, I've talked to enough parents. I am <laughs> positive. They're lying to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. 
So, but, you know, I, I'm still new to this. I'm sure, you know, it's going to be smooth sailing, all, you know, sunshine and lollipops. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure your your children are delightful, but I think it's basically just terrible for like at least 20 years. And at this day and age now, kids don't leave their parents' houses. So it's probably not going to be great for like the next 40 years. My my kids will leave my house. <laughs> You you can bank on that. <laughs> Actually, I believe you. I, I don't know that they'll leave, but I believe that you will force them out. Yeah. One way or another, there will not be kids in my house about 18 years from now. Okay. Okay. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is maybe Noah's review <laughs> on Parenthood five months in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, uh, you know, it's just lovely. They're they're great kids some of the time. See, that felt like the lying part. But I mean, look, <laughs> I actually was thinking before we started recording. I was like, did you have to get like permission from the state for you to have children? I mean, then I was like, well, you have a lovely wife, and she's great, and I'm I'm all for the thought of you know Aaron having kids. I'm just a little. It's a bit more of a question mark if I want you having kids. Yeah, I, th I think that's an accurate take on the situation. Aaron is definitely the more capable parent. Yeah, <laughs> I believe you. I think we are we are unanimous in that uh, sentiment. Well, I have done my best to try to leave you alone while you adjust to your new reality for the rest of your life. I appreciate that. But anyway, I am actually very happy to be talking with you again on one of our little podcast sessions here. So yeah, man, keep it up. You're doing great, I think. Yeah, thanks. I I, I guess I am. I think so too, maybe. The kids are still alive, so I mean... Honestly, I swear, that's got to be like, that means you're like 99.3% you know, doing the job right, I, right? I think so. They're not mobile yet. It's easy to keep them alive when they like you just put them someplace and they stay there. I think we're we're nearing the point where they're going to start trying to kill themselves, and that's where I I feel like the test really starts. But we already have we already have uh, like push bikes for them, so we had push bikes for them before they were born. Well, that actually segues maybe to an interesting topic. Are these push bikes the new fancy slash absurd? specialized carbon push bikes that I think cost about $2,000 each. Is that what your kids are rocking? Oh, those things are only a thousand. <laughs> oh, okay. So yeah. So you have a couple for them. Yeah. I mean, why not? I've got one spare. Uh, no, they, their push bikes are made out of metal. Uh, I actually haven't looked at them really closely, but I'm pretty sure it's steel. But uh, so, no, we didn't we didn't go in on specialized hot new marketing plan. The pink bike article on that had like 700 comments on it. Like, man, mm -hmm. that is just genius by the specialized marketing department. There's no better way to get people talking about your brand than to get them all worked up about a thousand dollar kid's bike. <laughs> well, hey man, S works from the jump. Yeah. That's how that's how your kids are gonna roll, I like to think. Uh no, they're they're definitely their steel is real kind of kids. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's let's get into this. Just today, we published your review, and this is a mouthful of the hunt. All Mountain Carbon H Impact Wheel Set. I, I think you put the emphasis wrong. I think it's the Carbon H Impact. 
So you're saying there's there are no accent marks on this, though it I think like two or three would actually be helpful in in my case. Like it needs like a what is a it tilde? A tilde? Yeah, we could get those going. A tilde, couple accent marks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It needs multiple tilde. Yeah. I mean, go ahead. The floor is yours. Tell us a little bit about your experience with this, and then I've got I've got some questions. Yeah, so I put these on my enduro. Speaking of <laughs> expensive specialized bikes, and so you know, I had that thing built up with uh, some NVM7s that I reviewed maybe a year ago. They're like this burly three thousand dollar wheel set that uh, I got along with pretty well, and those NVs have been good for me. I've I've done my best to destroy those things, and they've held up well. So, anyways, I had this three thousand dollar wheel set on this expensive carbon contraption and then uh, this like $750 wheel set shows up and it's like i mean you know this thing is like a third of the price of the envies i got to say my expectations were they were set accordingly i thrashed on those hunts all season and they're still on the bike right now even though uh, we're into ski season now, but yeah, they stayed on the bike for five solid months and I did everything I could to try and break them and, and they held up well and they actually rode really well, which I was surprised about. I, I, I wasn't sure what to expect, but I wasn't expecting that. They're not the lightest wheel set out there. So, you know, if you want to spend twice as much money, there's improvements to be made. But if you want a carbon wheel set on a budget, I, I was pretty surprised at how good these things were for the price. And I think really what that means is like five years ago, carbon wheel sets like there was a couple companies, Derby and, and uh, a few others that were making pretty inexpensive carbon rims, but at least in my experience, they were hit or miss on durability and they were mostly miss in terms of ride quality. Uh, a lot of them were just really stiff. And, you know, if you go back eight years ago, then you could say a lot of them were really stiff, uh, even about the high end wheels, you know, some of the early Envies and some of the Reynolds, you know, those weren't cheap wheel sets, but they were just brutally stiff and you know maybe they worked all right on a downhill bike but for you know normal trail riding they they didn't maintain traction well that kind of skip around off of little bumps and if you put them on any short travel bike like man your spine would be shorter by the end of the ride so yeah five years ago you could get some fairly reasonably priced carbon wheel sets but they weren't great and so really what i think this marks is that we've finally gotten to the point where these companies have figured out how to work with carbon pretty competently. They're getting their layups right. There's all this magic sorcery with what direction the weaves are flowing and and what type of weave you're using and what weight carbon. You know, there's there's a whole science behind this, and I think it took a while for the industry to kind of work through it and find the right balance of durability and ride qualities to make a wheel set that was good. And, you know, I think a company like Envy, for example, who have re reviewed a few of their wheel sets, I think they did a better job of, of moving towards that end goal earlier. And some of the other high-end companies were doing that as well. But now we've seen that trickle down to, yeah, this, 
I think it retails for 769 bucks, something like that. And I just think that's cool that, you know, we have actually seen the the real world benefits of that technology trickling down the food chain. Not that 750 bucks is just money that you're throwing out left and right. But, you know, as far as a nice wheel set goes, that's that's not too bad these days. It's a lot of diaper money. A lot of well, we go through a lot of diapers. I mean, 750 bucks, that probably gets us like three, maybe four weeks. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I'm just I'm yeah. not the diaper buyer. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I, I always kind of I confess you just kind of finished by saying, so this is pretty good news. You know, carbon wheel sets that are, seem to ride well are coming down in price. I do always worry a bit about like, okay, are we then taking shortcuts to get that price down, right? And you and I are not going to dive into this, you know, in a in a deep way tonight. I think that's... Um, a conversation that we probably want to have with with some other guests but you know i think we have been I, I think one i'd like to think that consumers in general are thinking a bit harder these days about where is stuff manufactured how is stuff manufactured what are those manufacturing processes looking like and you know look i don't <laughs> i think we're a far way away from there being something like truly clean carbon, right? Like, yeah, I think that's fair to say. And yet I just, you know, so I'm not, I'm not trying to be unrealistic here, but I do still wonder a bit like for other manufacturers making really good carbon wheels who are charging more. It's like, well, they're simply overcharging or there's something about how, Hunt is getting to this price point. Well, I think I mentioned this in the review, but there's sort of the the old, I don't know, saying that you've got light, durable, or cheap. Pick pick two. And in this particular wheel set, I said, eh, you know, they're they're not overly heavy, but they're not super light. So basically, you get durable and cheap. Uh, but really, I think that that sort of threefold discussion maybe should include a fourth prong, and that's light, cheap, durable, ecologically responsible. And frankly, for these particular wheels, I have no idea what what the impact is. You know, I'm I'm not a carbon engineer. I, I have a general sense of the process. I have a general sense that all the resins and epoxies that are going into that carbon fiber are probably not the friendliest things for the environment. You know, I think there's some ability to recycle carbon fibers, but it's it's certainly more complicated than recycling like aluminum, which is kind of your other option for wheels these days. But then again, I see people trash aluminum wheels regularly. And I mean, are they taking those to the recycling bin? I mean, hopefully, but I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm skeptical. Yeah, I, I I think as we discuss things moving into the future, I think you're totally right that that people are are much more conscious and concerned about the ecological impact of of everything they're doing, and so that really should be factored into these discussions. And you know, I think 
like I said, I I have no idea what the ecological impact of these of these hunt wheels is, or you know what I what I can say. You know, we're talking about envy, and and I don't personally know what the ecological impact of an envy wheel is. Uh, the only difference that I can see is, at least from my personal perspective, the envy wheels, they're made in Ogden, Utah. You know, in theory, next time I go down to Moab, I could take a little detour, stop into their factory, and and I don't know, they're probably not going to let me watch them build a wheel, but I could at least harass them and ask them what they're doing in terms of ecological impact. And, and there are other uh, carbon wheel companies that are building in North America, that it's probably a similar situation as Envy, where I'm, I don't know that they are greener, uh, but it's at least a little more knowable than quite a bit of the manufacturing that's happening over in China, where, you know, I really have no idea what's going on over there. I, and I'm sure it varies from factory to factory. You know, who knows? Well, and we can, we can move off of this conversation pretty quickly here. I I just think that this isn't going to as long as we're still making carbon wheels this is this is I think just going to be another move where as we get more wheels perhaps riding well and there's going to be more competition on the price and there's going to be more competition in terms of durability I think that companies that are able to tell a legit story about if they are able to manufacture with better, less wasteful, possibly greener manufacturing processes, I think that will increasingly become a point of differentiation as I believe we will see more and more wheels start riding pretty well. You agree with that? I totally agree. Uh, you know, I think over the past couple years, really, it's that ride quality that's been the factor that companies have tried to use to differentiate themselves. You know, we don't see a ton of talk about weight. We see talk about price, but, you know, price is always going to be a factor. But yeah, I think we're just starting to see some companies talk about the environmental impact of their products. You know, I think we're seeing that from Revel, uh, which you guys have talked about. I, you've, you've had them on the podcast, right? You know, I, I, t I totally think you're right that that's something that we'll see companies trying to uh, set themselves apart with in the future. And, you know, the nice thing about it is it's fairly quantifiable. If they say we're doing X, Y, and Z to make these products more environmentally responsible, you know, that's a lot easier to put numbers on or put specifics on than like ride quality. Let's keep it moving. There's a helmet you want to talk about. It's uh well it's just it's the last thing I still have on my plate to write a review for for 2020 the the worst year ever. <laughs> so, yeah, this was a it's a sweet protection arbitrator which is a convertible full face which, you know, we saw a whole bunch of those come out over the past couple of years and I was psyched on this one because I was supposed to go on this awesome trip to France and Italy where a convertible helmet was going to make a ton of sense and you know, for some reason I was wasn't able to make that trip happen. So yeah, I've just been riding my local trails, converting helmets back and forth unnecessarily. But yeah, it, it's a it's a nice helmet. It's the first convertible helmet that I've tried that feels like a real downhill helmet. 
when it's in full face mode, but it's also pretty legit as a half shell when when it's in half shell mode. The best one that I'd seen previously in terms of being an actual downhill helmet was the Giro Switchblade, but when that one's in half shell mode, it's it still has like ear covering, so it's pretty hot. The sweep protection doesn't like it it is more or less a traditional half shell helmet, but it's a full DH rated chin bar. So, you know, when you put it on, you feel like you could really smash your face into something and and come out okay. Okay, so yeah, that helmet's the last thing that I've got on my plate this year, other than maybe I think me and David Golay are gonna have some chats about all the forks that we've been riding over the past eight months or so. Yeah, and we had David on several weeks ago talking a bit about some of those forks and he was in fact saying this was going to be up on the site kind of shortly i believe he said so are you guys actually going to get this up yeah (laughs) but uh he actually just emailed me today and just found out that he's getting the new olin's rfx 36 uh he should be getting that within the next probably within the week So he's hoping to get a bit of time on that before we wade into this whole fork comparison roundup just to get another cool player into the mix. But I've got a Zeb on my bike right now, so I spent half the season on a 38 and then the second half on the RockShox Zeb. David also put time on the Manitou Mezzer. Uh, which is kind of in that same class of like bigger Enduro-y forks. Uh, And then I've been putting time on the new 2021 Fox 36, uh, which isn't wildly different, but it's had some tweaks over the prior generation. It sees some of the same upgrades and little bits and pieces of technology that they incorporated into the 38. And then, yeah, David's Got that Olin's coming, and then we've both spent time on the Lyric, which didn't change, but is, uh, or didn't significantly change, but, you know, it's one of the most popular forks out there, and so it's always a good comparison point. Well, just before I let you go then, is there maybe a bit of a teaser you could leave us with before you and David drop this kind of fork roundup slash shootout, but maybe just... I don't know, one of the interesting takeaways or one of the surprises you found having cycled through a number of these forks. Yeah, I mean, I think the most interesting thing I found, just the the quick recap of it, is you know, going into this year, the Lyric and the 36 were kind of the bigger Enduro-y forks of choice. And I thought they were both really good forks. They were a little different, you know, they each had their own personalities. But I would call them essentially interchangeable. Somebody's going to be annoyed about that. But really, you know, if if you could ride well and and have a good time on a 36, you could get a lyric and also get it to feel pretty similar where neither of those forks were going to hold you back. Uh, the 38 and the Zeb, you know, I went into those thinking, well, they're just going to be kind of scaled up bigger versions, but be similar. That I found to not be the case. I think there is a more defined difference between the 38 and the Zeb. And so I think for different people and different riders, the the choice is going to be a little more clear cut. Okay, well, now I'm just 
intrigued and I want to know. So go ahead and spoil it for the website. Define this difference between the two forks here. Yeah, so I think the the Zeb is pretty clearly stiffer than the 38, which I thought was interesting. Equally interesting, I preferred the 38. I I thought it was smoother. It got deflected less. So when I wrote my 38 review earlier uh, this summer, I said I had not encountered a single crown fork that was too stiff. Whereas, you know, I would argue that a Fox 40 is is maybe a little too stiff for me, being not a huge guy. And I find that my front end gets deflected around a bit more. I said for single crown forks, I haven't found a fork that is too stiff after riding the 38. That was before I put the Zeb on. And I would say the Zeb is at least right up at that limit of feeling too stiff for me. Going back to our wheel discussion of getting deflected off little bumps and corners, uh, the 38 worked better for me and, and it held a line better. But that might also mean that bigger guys are going to like the Zeb better. That was my next question. I mean, but that is a little funny, I think, that even tweaking out and adjusting settings regardless of what you did it still ended up feeling a bit stiffer and you're not you ride hard but you're not a heavy guy you're at a, about 160 pounds i think <laughs> well you know now with my new lifestyle it's more like 165 but <laughs> um but yeah you know and i'm not giving the whole story here i th this is my whatever the podcast equivalent of clickbait is that there is more to this discussion and okay. me and David will will hash it out okay. in our fork roundup and fork comparison and I'm positive that David has something more to say on this but yeah that's that's the that's the quickie teaser yeah <laughs> wow yeah. you're really getting media savvy Noah you you gave us the teaser but you left us with clickbait yeah that's that's how I roll these days. Well, hey, man, I mostly just am like, you need to go keep a couple of human beings alive. And so I feel like I really need to let you go. As always, it is good talking bike stuff with you. I feel like maybe this means I'm allowed to like bug you more about this. I've, I gave you five months. <laughs> I gave you five months of minimal, minimal, yeah, you know, yeah. bugging. Uh, and I appreciated every moment of it. But uh, yeah, I mean, you can call me anytime, and and if I'm in the mood for it, I'll even answer. Wow, this is this is just fantastic news, Noah. Thanks. Please say hello to Aaron for me. I will do that. I really am looking forward to seeing this uh, this fork roundup that you and David put together. So we'll all stay tuned for that. And you know, other than that, man, God bless. That's all I gotta say. Yeah, so I, I need all the blessings that I can get. <laughs> I'll talk to you real soon. All right, catch you later. Well, that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. Thanks to Noah for the conversation. Thanks to Survivor for presenting this episode. And do be sure to check out the links to the Survivor Endurance case in the show notes to this episode. I also want to say thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us here in Crested Butte and Gunnison, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we will talk to you again real soon.